Welcome in to the At The Yard podcast. Our guest today is King High School head coach Steve Madrill, who will take us through his roots in the city of Riverside that led him to coach at JW North before moving on to King High School. He'll also take us through how one family of a former player turned tragedy into something beautiful. All that and much more on episode 31 of the At The Yard podcast. Steve, welcome in to the At The Yard podcast. Man, I can't tell you how excited I am to have you on. Uh, this has been a long time coming. We've known each other for a while, and I've been meaning to get you on the show here, and I'm just really pumped to be able to spend some time with you here over uh, the next few minutes and just chat about everything MLK Baseball. How's it going? It's going good, man. Uh, the Wolves got started with our practice uh, last week. We're about two weeks in. Um, I'm excited for the year. we got a really good group of guys coming back. Um, but yeah, man, so I'm excited to be here with you. Um, I, I love what you guys are doing. You guys are doing a great job promoting high school baseball and, um, in the summer and also the travel ball programs and obviously the high school stuff. So, um, everything you guys do, man, is much appreciated. Awesome, man. I appreciate you saying that. Let's jump into, uh, your playing career, right? I mean, you and I, we, we've got a lot of similarities and one of those is, you know, we come from a, a small towns, if you will, in, in Southern California that, you know, I guess if you're not from there, you don't have a, a high appreciation from it. You being from Riverside, myself being from Chula Vista, yeah. and you know, I, I I love what you do, man. I mean, I know that Riverside means so much to you. Uh, it's a part of obviously who you are. It's made you who you are. Uh, you know, let's talk about that. I mean, you started your your played your high school ball uh, at, at Arlington, right? If I'm not mistaken, Arlington. That's high right. School. That's right. Uh, I'm, I'm Arlington grad. Yeah, and then from there you went on to play at UC Riverside uh, before moving on to the pro ranks. But let's talk about your time at Arlington and your time at Riverside and kind of, you know, what that did to shape you uh, in terms of, you know, not only the player you became, but obviously the coach you are now. I mean, what what, what sort of lessons along the ways, I mean, that gritty sort of, you know, IE kind of gritty attitude, if you will, uh, you know, that, that that's a real thing, isn't it? It is. Uh you know, back when I started Arlington High School, you know, I played for the legendary coach, uh, Gary Rungo, who, who's got like 600 wins. He's got three CF titles under his belt. And, for, and from an early age, we were kind of taught uh, that it was us against the world kind of thing. Um, just being from Riverside, you know, we didn't get the publicity that some of those bigger schools got from Orange County or even L.A. Um, but we always knew that we could play with them. So you're right, that grittiness, that toughness from the IE, uh, those Riverside kids, you know, we were – in a sense, we, we were kind of brainwashed as we, as we were young um, to know that we could play and know that we could compete um, and know that we were going to go over there and, you know, and kind of and, and always be the underdog, you know, and we had to come out and we got to we had to grind. Um, so you're right. But Gary Rungo taught that taught that to us really early. And we were fortunate that we had some really good teams back in, in Arlington from, uh, when I was there in 96. Um, and it continued after that. Guys like Lucas Duda. Um, Jojo Reyes, uh, those guys played in the big leagues. We had a bunch of minor leaguers. Um, I think for my senior alone, we had probably eight or nine guys that went on and played in college and maybe another two or three that you know, played pro ball. So, um, yeah, we had some really good clubs, man. Um, and even when I went back to coach there um, for Gary, when my, when my playing days were over, it was kind of the same thing. We just kind of kept it going for uh, for many years after. 
So how do you try to, you know, instill that in players now? Is that easy for you to kind of, you know, that pride in Riverside? The game's so much different now, right? I mean, kids play high school ball. Some kids play for a number of different club teams. Some kids play for one. Uh, you know, a lot of times it's not in their area, for so to speak, right? Not a lot of kids are playing for teams in the IE. Uh, you know, how do you how do you do that? I love what you do with the hashtag, the rep riv. I think that's one of the coolest things. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, but but what sorts of things do you do? Do you kind of tell them about stories like about Coach Rungo, or you know, how do you do that to try to instill that pride in the Riverside area? You know what? It's it's definitely through 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 some storytelling, through some you know some jokes and some uh, you know, some long talks with our boys in, in my in my classroom. Um, but you're right; it's it's tough nowadays when you got there's some kids kind of jumping around and as far as the summer stuff goes. But what I try and do here is just make sure that they know that we're we're a family, we're a school, um, we're from our we're from our, our community, and we represent more than just ourselves. We represent our families and our city and, and our area, and you know they they really bought into it. Um, and then obviously with us going out to play in Orange County all the time, uh, we go out to LA, Palm Desert, Vegas. We want people to know that that King is from Riverside and, and we're, and we're good and we can play. And, um, and like I said, our boys have really bought into that. And I think our parents have, um, and it's become a little bit easier to kind of promote that nowadays with, uh, with social media. Um, it's it, everything's so readily available. The information is right there for people to see. So being able to, uh, to promote our kids and, and our city mostly has been it's been it's been great and it's been a little bit easier in that aspect. Um, but you're right with kids kind of playing for different teams. Um, you know it's hard, especially when they're not playing locally all the time. Uh, but when I grew up, you know that's all we had was what we had in Riverside. We grew up playing travel ball in Riverside. We, we grew up playing Pony League and Colt League here in Riverside. We didn't really branch out too too much. Um, but yeah, I mean that's what I kind of do. I try and take that Gary Rungo and really just you know, and brainwash our kids in a sense to know that, you know, what we do here is special and, and our, our guys can compete with anybody. Yeah, well, it seems to certainly be working. We'll touch on that here in a little bit with your team coming up in, in you know, in the 27, 2020 season, excuse me, because uh, you've got some, some serious talent on that roster, which we'll dive into. But so you finish at UC Riverside in 2000. Uh, you sign with the White Sox. You go on to pitch uh, a few years in pro ball in the Sally League and the Carolina League. I mean, what mm-hmm. was that like, right? I mean, here's a guy from, from from Riverside who's clear across the country, you know, pitching in the Sally League and the Carolina League. I mean, that you must have at least one good story <laughs> you could tell us about a bus ride or something that happened down there. But, I mean, what was that like? And more importantly, how did your time under Coach Rungo and, and just kind of playing on those really good Arlington teams prepare you for those few years in pro ball? Well, definitely playing, I would say playing for Rungo prepared me just in the fact that for the work ethic that those guys or we had to do in pro ball on a daily basis, um, everything we did was so fundamental at Arlington, and that's really what it is in pro ball. They expect you to make those routine plays and, and kind of know what's going on and, and, to, and to have instincts, and that's really what Rungo preached to us. Um, but you're right, coming from Riverside, really born and raised, um, <clears throat> I was pretty fortunate that when I was at Riverside, um, I played summer ball every single year um, that I was there, and I played two years in, in Minnesota. I was in Rochester in, in the uh, in the uh, Northwoods League, so I was away from home for a couple of months at a time. Before my senior year, I played in Alaska. Actually, Gary Adcock, the head coach at Cal Baptist, was my head coach in Kenai, Alaska, um, before my senior year in 2000. Now, again, I was gone for a few months. So going to pro ball, 
it definitely was a culture shock, especially being gone for like six or seven months at a time. Um, but it was anything that I don't think I wasn't prepared for um, as far as, you know, having Jack Smithern as my college coach and even Gary as, you know, in college. I think we were ready. But, but yeah, when you, when you get to North Carolina and you're so used to living in Southern California, um, the type of weather that you get out there is definitely different. It's very humid. And, you know, you get out of the shower and you walk outside and it's like you never left. Um, but yeah, so things like that. I mean, uh, long bus rides, we're talking 12, 13 hour bus rides, you know, no bus trip from Riverside to Cal State San Marino can prepare you for a 12-hour road trip. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I saw some crazy things out there. I met I met Dale Earnhardt Jr. back uh, the very, very first year when I was in Kannapolis. Um, actually, Dale Earnhardt Sr. had just bought the club uh, right before he passed away in his car accident. Um, so we, we were pretty much a big deal in that little area of North Carolina. Um, so all that was fun, man. Like, we would pack the house with, you know, 7,000, people a game just because – you know, we're, we were Dale's team. Um, so that's one memory that I always I always have. And that town is so awesome and, and great. And then being in Winston-Salem, um, the home of, uh, of Wake Forest, you know, we saw some really cool spots. And, um, yeah, just traveling all around the East Coast was, 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 was a great experience. Yeah, and I'm sure those experiences have, have helped you along the way in your coaching career, right, when you talk to guys about – because, like, let's face it, you, you, you've had a lot of guys who have – either gone on to play collegiately or have gone on to sign professional contracts. And I mean, what sort of, you know, advice do you give those guys or, or how do you position your experiences, you know, just to share those with them and, you know, Hey, this is what it's like. I mean, it's not all the glitz and glamour you see on TV, right? I mean, it's a grind. I mean, and it's got to make it a little easier for you having been through that to be able to kind of share that with them. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I've been pretty fortunate in my in my now 13 years of being a head coach. I've had, you know, I want to say nine or 10 kids drafted and quite a few signed. And I always want to make sure that I'm there for them, you know, for support. If you have any questions, um, shoot. Uh, we had a kid named uh, Brandon Ramey who was here a few days ago. who's with the Phillies. He's a King grad. Um, he came out to talk to some of our boys about what it's like to play pro ball. Christian Koss who's with the Rockies. Um, he played for me back at JW North. He was here yesterday just working on some stuff. Um yeah, and if, just to be able to help them in any way, give them some advice. Um, obviously, the style of play has changed a lot since 2002, 2003, um, with a lot of the launch angle and the way people think. But really, for the most part, the day in and day out stuff is really the same. Um, just helping them, you know, just know like, you know, what to expect when you get to spring training and what you, what to expect when you go to instructs and, you know, how to go about looking for an apartment and what do you what do you do when you get called up in the middle of a season and what it's like to lose friends when, when guys get released. Um, so any kind of, you know, experience that I've had, it's always cool to go out and talk to them and, and kind of just give them a heads up and, and hopefully it helps them because I know that they keep coming back and asking and, you know, I'm always there for support. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up cost because I remember you telling me as a sophomore, when he was a sophomore at the national classic, you're like, Les, this guy's got a chance to be pretty good. And sure enough, you ended up being pretty darn good. So oh, you yeah. finish your, you finish your pro career in 02 come back you coaching 06 i mean we could say your life changed for the better right i mean you get the head coaching job at jw north taking over a team that was 14 and 36 the prior two years uh that was a grind for you right i mean you had some success a little bit later but 
Talk about those first couple of years, you know, where it was just trying to get the guys to buy in and and then get the you know get the team to 500 before we move on to to what you know what transpired in 2011, you know, those 06, 07, 08, those first few years, you know, how how was that? How was tough was that for you as a coach? Was it, you know, and, and you know going back to your mentors, you know, what role did they play in kind of getting you through that and pushing you through that? You know what? I'm not gonna lie, man. That those first three, three or four years at JW North are pretty tough. Um, it was just really just trying to develop talent. Um, God, we hit so many fungos and did so many individual drills, and we were out there till you know five or six o'clock at night, knowing that we had some kids that could play, um, but just didn't really have the structure that was needed in order for us to really, you know, blossom. You know, all those years down the road. Um, and, and I don't know if you have anything about East Riverside, but East Riverside isn't isn't your normal city or, or part of town. So we had some tough kids. Um, they were gritty, and we had to make sure that you know we knew that they could bring that toughness onto the baseball field. Um, we were lucky that in our second year there, uh, we actually made the playoffs. We lost to Orange Lutheran in the first round, the Division playoffs. Garrett Cole beat us. Um, and then we kind of took a little step back and went really, really young. Um, I want to say back in 2009. Uh, we started like seven freshmen on varsity. It was just one of those things that kind of the Gary Rungo in me that said that uh, if we were going to lose, we were going to lose young and lose with kids that were going to be in our program for three and four years down the road. And rather than with some kids that were going to be with us for three or four more weeks. Um, so that's kind of what we did. We went young. We, uh, we bit the bullet. It was the first year of the Big Eight. And schools like Norco and Santiago were just absolutely dominant. And they were really, really good. And we just wanted to compete. We wanted to get better in the Big Eight. Um, we, we branched off in our fall schedule. We played at some bigger schools just because we knew that if we were going to be good in the Big Eight, we had to see Big Eight competition throughout the course of the fall. Um, we started traveling all over the place. And then, you know, like you mentioned a little bit, we got to 2011 and we really struck lightning in a bottle. Um, and we got hot and you know, ended up you know, doing something special. Yeah, I mean, a 7-1 win over Esperanza in the, in the championship game there at Dodger Stadium is a game I was actually at. And, I mean, I remember watching, the, I think it was the quarterfinal game between Esperanza and, and a loaded modern-day team. And when Esperanza beat them, you just kind of felt like, wow, this is a, you know, a team of destiny here. But, I mean, that performance by your pitchers in that game at Dodger Stadium was something – I mean, it, it's something that kind of legends are made of, right? Like those guys can come <laughs> back to campus and, and just be the BMOC, you know, even 20 years later. Because that was that was a heck of a performance you got from not only your pitchers, but I mean, offensively, obviously, to score seven runs. I mean, I know you are a diehard Dodgers fan. What was that like for you personally? And when did it hit you, right? Like, man, we just won CIF in Dodger Stadium. You know what? Uh, it was awesome. Uh, I'd actually been, I was pretty fortunate that I'd been on, I've been at Dodger Stadium before. When I was at Arlington as an assistant in 2004, we'd actually won a Division One title. Um, so I, I knew a little bit about it. So I was able to kind of tell our kids kind of what the atmosphere was going to be like in a Division One title game. So um, we, we kind of knew what was going on. I made sure that we got to the stadium really early to kind of get the awe factor out of the way. Um, I want our boys to enjoy it and kind of eat some hot dogs and walk around and just relax. Um, but yeah, man, Evan Perez went out there back in 2011 and threw a complete game four hitter. And, um, we scored really late. I think we scored three or four in the fourth inning and then added a couple of more in the seventh. And, you know, it was special. And I'm, 
to be honest with you, I don't even know if it's hit me yet. I mean, for us to go from four and twenty-four in like in two thousand and nine to dogpiling at Dodger Stadium a few years later, and you know, it was crazy, man. I mean, I must have had a two hundred text messages on my phone before I even got back on the bus, and you know, it was cool. I, I took some really cool pictures. You and I had a conversation about a bus picture that I that I took in the parking lot before we went out to the field, and the three schools that were there besides us were taking uh. We took charter buses, and our boys were were, were were in a school bus, man. We were in the Yellow Dog. So <laughs> that just kind of, kind of shows you the, the kind of group that we had. Um, and we actually won that title, and we only had one scholarship player, and he was going to Cal Baptist, and that's when they were Division II. We didn't we didn't have those prototypical, you know, seven or eight, you know, Division One commit clubs. Um, even the next year, the, that group of juniors, we only we had one scholarship guy and one kid ended up getting drafted. But it was just some tough kids that bought in and – and refused to lose and were bitter and, you know, and they, and they knew they were talented and they, they'd been through it all and they were tough and they knew what it was like to lose. And I think they cherished winning even more because of it. Um, but it was a very special group that I'm going to remember forever. Yeah, it's that. It's kind of what we talked about, you know, to kick off the show, right? It's that kind of gritty, you know, that Riverside attitude, right? That IE, us against the world, you know, kind of uh, feeling that those guys carried into that game. So, oh, yeah. so Steve, so Steve, you, you spent a decade uh, there at North, and then obviously in 2016, you, you know, you took over the King job uh, there in Riverside, and I remember texting you about that just to confirm it, and you know, you called me and you told me your your reasonings for it, which is awesome. Uh, you know, I wish kind of more coaches would take that that perspective. But what what was the big kind of pull for you to? You know, leave North after a decade after winning a CIF title there, uh, and then and then head over to to King. I mean, obviously it's still in Riverside, uh, you know, or or yeah, it's in Riverside there. Uh, but you know, what what was the big draw for you? I mean, I mean, I know the answer, but you know, tell the audience. You know what? Uh, the the really big draw was that the fact that that year my wife and I had our third child. Uh, he's he's three years old now, so. Um, when he was born, obviously, we, like I said, we had three kids and it was a way for us to finally be on the same campus. My wife, uh, my wife, Adriana teaches Spanish here at King. Uh, she's been here. It was a way for us to finally be on the same campus. We go to the same football games. Now we go to the prom, uh, as chaperones together, um, you know, for uh, at least two or three times a week, we actually carpool to work. Um, so it's nice, you know, having the family on the same campus rather than across town. Um, and not only that, you know, baseball-wise, you know, I was excited to get in, back into the Big Eight. Um, when we were at North, we actually opened the Big Eight. We were in the Big Eight for four years and won two Big Eight championships. Um, and then our school left the Big Eight. Um, and nothing wrong with the league that we were in, but if you're from Riverside or you're from Corona, Big Eight is where it's at. You know, in any in any sport. So I think the big thing was getting back to the Big Eight and you know taking advantage of the the talent that we have here in this Orange Crest area and and knowing that we had a chance to be really good every single year and and to, and to challenge for, you know, Division One titles and Big Eight titles and and hopefully do something special and, and have those continuous run of Division One commits and guys getting drafted. And, you know, so it's, it's been a good run. I mean, it's only been three years and we have a lot of work to do. But, you know, the transition to King wasn't easy. Obviously, East Riverside and Orange Crest are two very different parts of town. Um, but, you know, I'm excited. It's, it's I come to work every day excited to get to the field and, and I love being around our guys and our coaches that we've been together for such a long time. Sharky Cisneros and myself have been together since since day one. And 
you know, it's fun, man. And all those guys came with me up, up to King, and, you know, we, we got a good group of coaches and a lot of talent. Yeah, no, no question about that. And, and I think, in my opinion, the Big Eight is one of the kind of most underrated leagues there is in SoCal. I mean, everybody obviously talks about the Trinity League. You get to some of these other Orange County leagues. But when you get out of the Orange County area, which a lot of people unfortunately don't, I mean, you have to look at, you know, the Mission League, obviously. You look at the Big Eight. I mean, these are some of the just the best leagues. I mean, everybody top to bottom in the Big Eight. And I saw, I don't know, two, three games uh, in the Big Eight last spring. Everybody just battles. And it's just it, it's intense. The games are intense. The crowds are intense. And I mean, yeah. everybody is dialed in from the first pitch to the last pitch of the game. It's awesome. Yeah, it's a great league, man. I mean, you look back in the last, you know, however, eight, nine, ten years, you got JW North with a title. You got Corona that's been in two finals. Um, Norco was in a final last year. Um, San Diego's had great clubs with great players. And, you know, there, there's no cupcakes in our league. So whether if you're in first or sixth, you know, you got to bring it, man. You got to bring your A game every, every every night, or else, you know, you're gonna lose. And I'm sure there's a lot of leagues out that are just like that, but especially in the Big Eight, man. There's there's a lot of great coaches that have been around for a long time, and they all they all know what's going on, and they have an idea of what's going on in their programs. And you know, it's it's, it's a good league. Yeah, no doubt. And so, Steve, let, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, you know, October 10th, 2015 is, is is a day I'm sure you'll never forget. And you know, obviously, we just celebrated the fourth anniversary of this and mm-hmm. you know austin Gorell, uh former player of yours uh passed away on october 10th 2015 uh he was a freshman at the university of nevada at the time uh, what was that day for you I, I mean what were you know how did you hear the news um and and what was just what was that like for you i can only imagine having coached a young man or, or having been around a young man as much as you were uh, to hear something like that must've just been terrible. Yeah. You know what? I actually had heard that uh, from some people and I talked to Austin a few times when he, when he first was diagnosed with cardiomyopathy um, that, you know, what he was going through. Um, I remember getting a call early one morning from Gabe Ybarra, whose, whose son Cole Pofek was on our club over at North. Um, he gave me a call early one morning and just said that Austin had passed away. And, uh, Man, just that numbness goes over you, and you know you don't you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do. You're just kind of kind of in shock. Um, we had a game later on that day, and we had, we had to tell our kids, and obviously they were all distraught, and you know it's just really just it's eye opening. It kind of gives you that that feeling that there's more to life than just baseball. Um, I always I tell people all the time there's that saying that you know baseball is life, the rest is just details. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but. Yeah. No, nah, man, life is life, and baseball is just details, you know, and it kind of kind of brings you back to really think about and cherish, you know, the times that you got together. Um, and then, you know, Austin being so young that, you know, we had some, some young kids that had to go through some tough times when when, when their best friend passed away, and it, it wasn't easy, and still not to this day. You know, we get together with some of those guys, and they talk about Austin and how, how special of a talent he was and how good of a kid he was, and, you know, it's still – it still hurts, you know, and I don't think it'll ever not. Yeah, and, and you know, out of tragedy came something very beautiful, right? I mean, I, I mean, to, what 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 a better way to honor the memory of the young man than uh, the Austin Gorel Baseball Classic tournament now in its fifth year. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the one of the things that really impresses me 
about the tournament or, or actually really stands out to me as just, you know, you take the, the talented roster of teams that you guys have all assembled uh, for the tournament. You take that, and put, you know, put it over here, if you will. But one of the neatest things is the scholarship component. Um, you know, I, I, I saw that over the last four years. Um, the foundation has given back $45,000 to 21 players uh, who are, you know, gun, or seniors who will mm-hmm. graduate that year, uh, go on to college, whether they're playing baseball or not. Uh, they are eligible for the scholarship. And you know, why, why was that important to the Gorel family to do that uh, in, in honor of Austin? You know, I think it was important because they wanted as many kids as possible to really enjoy what Austin was able to enjoy, albeit for a very short time. Um, but the chance to go to college and the chance to, you know, and, and brighten their futures academically and whether it's baseball, through baseball or not, you know, just for kids to go out and, and enjoy life and, and just, you know, and, and, and live just, just, just as Austin did when he was here. Um, so I know that was a big part of the, the the tournament, you know, going in. I remember that first year when we only had nine schools and they gave out $6,000 in scholarship money and it was the greatest thing ever. And I remember giving a big hug to Gina Garrell and, and Carrie Garrell and telling them how awesome that was. And then the next year we got to 20 schools and man, I think they gave out like $15,000 in scholarships. And, you know, we were just amazed that, you know, that we were able to do that or the, or the Garrell family was able to do that. And then over the last two years, less I think they've given out fifty grand, and just in the last two years, all for seniors that are involved in Scott in, in, in the in, in the tournament. You know, all they have to do is write a letter uh, to the Garrell family, just kind of just just saying what baseball means to them, what school means to them, uh, what family means to them, life. You know, and just kind of just and just put it all on paper, and then the family reads it, and they kind of make their all their decision, and they get a big group of people together over dinner, and read all these letters and then yeah they kind of kind of make make their decisions from there but yeah i want to say over seventy thousand dollars in four years has been given out to seniors in the tournament um in for, in scholarship money in, in in austin's name that, that's just i mean it's incredible and i can only imagine you know being a fly on the wall when they're reading these letters out loud right just the emotions in that room must be incredible i mean do you get to sit in on that or is that just the family no, it's just the family, just the family. You know, they got some family friends that'll come over that'll read through them. Um, you know, what's cool about the, the tournament is that it's 100% family run. I mean, I think a lot of times, you know, people will ask me about my tournament. I'm like, hey, man, th- this is the Gorels tournament. They do an amazing job getting volunteers. Um, Bill and Ann Trudell that help, help that help with the organization part. Um, Graham, Graham and, uh, and and Genevieve Campbell that help out with the organization, and Graham does the brackets. Um, each they, they try and do their best to have one person from the Gorel family or extended family at each game. Um, yeah, it's completely nonprofit and it's completely run by by the Gorel family and, and like I said, their extended family. So it's it's amazing how how they're able to pull it off, you know, every single year. And I'm just happy to be a part of it, a small part of it. Um, whether it's fine trying to get schools involved, if there's an opening, and you know, and yeah, it's just something that I know that from now and to the rest of my coaching days that my, my clubs are going to be involved. And so um, I just try and be there in, in any type of support, you know, that I can. Yeah. And it's almost as though the, the talented roster of teams is kind of ancillary, right? I mean, because you have some big name teams coming, not only this year, but I've had them in the past and, 
you, you know, I mean, I think that that just kind of helps elevate the tournament itself. And, and, and I couldn't imagine, you know, we're both dads, right? I mean, I, I couldn't imagine grieving the loss of a son and then trying to put together a baseball tournament six weeks later, like they did in 2015. What was, what was that experience? Like, I'm sure they relied heavily on, on, you know, people like you that, uh, you know, care so much, not only about them, but their son as well. And I mean, what, what was, what was that like in 2015, just getting this thing off the ground? You know, I remember talking to Carrie and Gina and they're, they just, they just told me their idea. Like, Hey, let's, let's set up a tournament, you know? And I want to say at first they mentioned maybe like a softball tournament and then it became you know what no let's, let's make it a baseball tournament and then as soon as the word got out there there was nine schools that were all in and then jw north was one of them obviously because you know austin played for us and we were able to get nine schools and you know with it only being six weeks after a lot of fall schedules are full and we knew the next year that we were going to have a large amount of schools that were interested um but yeah i mean just just being out there and and you know and helping the family any kind of part of the, of the grieving process um if baseball's uh, an an, uh, an avenue for it then we're all in i mean just 40 schools that come out and and play baseball and obviously the name of schools that are in it this year is absolutely tremendous um but it just goes beyond baseball man it just it's it's for the family and it's for it's in austin's name and it's just really to to help out kids and and and, and to promote you know Life through baseball, I guess you could say. Yeah, it's definitely an, an awesome, awesome tournament. And for you can find out more information on that. It's the Austin Gorell Baseball Classic, and Gorell is G-O-R-R-E-L-L. So Austin Gorell Baseball Classic dot com is the website and all this schedule and information will be put up soon for the twenty nineteen tournament. And that takes place middle of November, correct? Yeah, it's actually November twenty third to the twenty sixth. Um, it's the, it's always the weekend before Thanksgiving. Um, so we run it then and the championship game will be back at Cal Baptist this year. And we got a great host of about 12 or 13 host sites. Um, yeah, we're looking forward to a great week of baseball. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for touching on that, Steve, because I know that's really near and dear to you. And it's just a really important, I think, tournament to, to pay attention to. Uh, let, let's shift gears over to the 2020. Uh, let's take a look ahead to, uh, the, King Seawolves here going into 2020. Uh, you and I were talking just the other day over at the Long Beach State Youth Camp where both of our sons participated about your team. And you know, I brought up a few names to you that I thought were, were going to be really, really special players for you moving forward. Uh, but before we talk about the young guys, let's talk about some of the returning guys you have coming back. And you know, just give us a quick little rundown on on you know your take on some of those guys obviously parker welsh caden moeller evan yates i'm sure there's others that i'm leaving out but uh you know just fill us in on on kind of what you what you have in mind here going into 2020 for for the king you know i'm really excited about what we're going to bring on the mound um with parker welsh coming back who was our who's our number one last year who went seven and two won won some games won a playoff game for us at bonita um he also plays infield hit over 300 last year um Kaden Moeller like you mentioned who's a 21 grad who just committed Long Beach State um he's left-handed has a big bat um plays a really really good first base who's actually been taking some fly balls in the outfield lately so you know I'm excited I know that we're going to be okay on the mound um you you've obviously seen Evan Yates a few times throughout the course of the summer um Evan's been upwards of 85 86 the last couple of weeks and he's a 21 grad also um 
He played infield for us last year and had over 80-some at-bats as a sophomore. Um, so him to come back as a junior, we're excited. Uh, Brandon Delgado is another junior a right-hander that we have who went 5-0 and for us last year and had about 30 innings on varsity. Um, Mario Madrigal, who's our starting shortstop, uh, coming back. We pretty much return our whole infield uh, for the most part. We return probably, I want to say, 80% of our starts in the infield. And then, God, I want to say maybe 150 innings from last year. So I'm excited for what we're going to do on the mound. I'm excited for our group. I know that our 21 class is going to be really, really good, With obviously with Moeller, Yates and Delgado. Um, and we got some guys that, 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 you know, that want to be seen, some guys that want to make some noise, some guys that want to get in the lineup. And I'm excited to see our fall, to see these guys get after it. Yeah, I think I, I like what you said there uh, about Moeller. And, and, and I'm glad you brought up Welch's win against Benita. I was at that game and that for me was the first time I had seen Moeller really do, I think, what he's going to be able to do in the long term with the bat. When I mean, he hit that bomb out to right center field, I mean, that was a no doubter. And and your fans just went absolutely bonkers. And uh, you know, he's kind of carried that in. And I, I really like Yates. I think he's just starting to scratch the surface. But you've got some freshmen uh, that we were able to see at one of our events recently uh, that I brought up to you that you, you seem pretty high on too, that whether they have a chance on varsity this year or not, I don't know, but I think for the long-term success of your program provides you just an incredible foundation moving forward. Right. Tell us a little bit about that 23 class. Yeah. You know what, for, for as good as I think our 21 class is going to be with Moeller and Yates and those guys, um, our, 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 uh, our freshman class this year, I think is going to be really good. They're definitely going to push the issue. Um, for a lot of our returners, that's that's for sure. Guys like uh, Austin Castillo, um, Jace Evangelista, um, um, Eric Aguayo, Landon Greenhouse, um, Adrian Diaz. Those are all guys that you saw at that you know at your last uh, um, underclass uh, workout. And those are guys that have been working with us already on the varsity side in, in our practices, and you know, they're making a name for themselves. And and that's what it's all about. It's about competition, uh, going out and getting after it, and and being gritty and and uh, no days off and and just know that there's always somebody there, you know like you know taking adage from the Dodgers even though they lost last week. But it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a next man up situation, you know if somebody can't do it or they can't go that day, then you know we're going to find somebody who can who's going to fill a role. And these guys are going to come in and they're going to put some heat on some older guys. And uh, and I'm excited to see it, you know, because it's just going to make us that much better. Yeah, no question about that. So tell us about your schedule. What what what's your schedule look like? Obviously, we know about all the Big Eight play, uh, but what do you got preseason? Uh, what are you looking at for a spring break tournament? What are you really looking forward to? Are there any key games? Uh, you know, obviously every league game is critical, but what games outside a league are you really looking forward to? Uh, and, and kind of the, who are you looking forward to competing against? Yeah, well, uh, every year since I was back at North, we start the year we start the year in the uh, in the uh, Newport Elks tournament, so we see a great group. Uh, last year we played Modern Day, we played a Damien, so we're looking forward to getting in that because we always know we're going to see some great schools. Um, our non-league schedule this year includes Rancho Bernardo from San Diego, so we're going to jump on a bus and head out to San Diego for the day. Um, El Dorado in Orange County, obviously you know a lot about El Dorado. Um, we're going to play them at El Dorado. We're going to host Servite. Um, we're also going to host... Vista Marietta at, at, uh, at RCC, so we're excited to get, to get Vista Marietta here. It's a tremendous program out in the, in, in the IE. Um, we're going to play them in a day-night doubleheader over at RCC, so we're excited to do that. Hopefully we can pack the house. Um, 
yeah, and then obviously the Big Eight schedule is going to be tremendous. So um, just knowing that the fact that we're in, we're in the Newport Elks and that our non-league schedule is going to prepare us for, you know, 15 wars that we that we've got to go through, or 15 battles in, in order to win a, a big war, which is the Big Eight. So um, I'm excited for the schedule, and our boys are going to be battle tested, and you know, uh, you know, our guys are looking forward to it. Yeah, then obviously, obviously, you you know, look forward to the postseason should that you know come about, and uh, I'm I'm sure you guys will be there. Do you know anything about uh, division? Uh, where you guys will will end up being slotted one, two? I can't imagine you drop down to three or, or four, but where where are you guys going to be slotted this year? Uh, do you know that information yet? Is that has that been released by CIF for you? You know, we re- we really never find out to about the beginning of January. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I really don't know. I mean, we, we were division two last year. We, we won a playoff game. Um, we lost, we actually won two, but I'm not sure how they count wildcard games. And then, you know, losing to Redondo union in the second round, I think would bring us up to division one, but we actually were a division one qualifier back in 18 and got dropped down to division two. So I really don't, I really don't know how it all works less because our schedule is always good. Um, we go out and try and play the best competition as possible. Um, well, we always pick up division one wins, but last year we got dropped down. So I wish I could tell you exactly where, where we were going to be. If I were to guess, I would think we'd be on the top end of division two, the bottom end of division one, but you get to that point and anybody can beat anybody. I don't care if it's D one or D two. Um, everyone's talented. You got to get after it. And then, you know, but all that stuff is out of our control. We can just control, you know, what's in front of us and and how we're going to play the game and, and how we approach every day. Well, I know coaches that are on the committee that have no idea how the system works or how it's how it's decided upon. So you're you're not alone in that regard. And you know, to your point of just get in and anything can happen. I mean, look, nobody gave you guys a shot to you know get past the wild card game and get past Benita at their place. And you guys proved that you know you were able to do that. So you know that's a, that's actually a, you know that's very 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 accurate. So. Uh, but Steve, before I before I let you go, and before we wrap up, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here. We started this with Coach Halpert last week, and I think we're going to carry on just based on the feedback we've gotten. And this is a rapid fire, right? I mean, uh, uh, you, you know, you and I you and I enjoy. Uh, we we have hobbies outside of baseball. One of those is uh, smoked meats. And, oh yeah. Uh, so so this will be a, a a smoked meats uh, heavy version of rapid fire. So I'm going to just fire off a couple of things. You're going to come back at me with your response uh, as quickly as possible. One of them is this favorite sports team. I'm going to throw that one out because I know uh, I already know the answer to that. Uh, <laughs> so so all right, here we go. You ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Taco Bell or Del Taco? Del Taco, 100%. Brisket or pulled pork? Oh, uh, I'd go pulled pork just because I'm not I'm not confident in my in my brisket just yet. Your go-to song to sing in the shower? Ooh, um, you know my my, my three-year-old's been all on La Bamba for whatever reason the last couple of weeks, so I'll say La Bamba. <laughs> oh, that's classic. <laughs> Beef ribs or pork ribs? Pork ribs. Oh, favorite stadium you've been in? Holy cow, um, man, uh, Houston. Houston was awesome. I went to Minimate a few years ago, but definitely Dodger Stadium. None, none can top Dodger Stadium. Okay, best dancer on the team. Best dancer on the team, uh, man. <laughs> I, I knew the answer last year was Nick Pena, but this year I'll just go with Parker Welsh. 
Nice. Your favorite vacation spot? Man. Um, Cancun. Oh, I like it. Uh, Mac or PC? Mac. Chicken or turkey? Oh, chicken. Analytics or old school? Uh, I would say old school right now, but I'm doing my best to buy in or figure out some of this analytical stuff, even at the high school level. Yeah. Okay. College football or the NFL? NFL. Costco or Sam's Club? Costco. Best singer on the team? Oh, man. Uh, Mario Madrigal. Uh, Small ball or gorilla ball? Man. I would say gorilla ball, but we're definitely in for the small ball, too. (laughs) Stretch (laughs) or the wind-up? Oh, wind up. That means nobody's on base. Pants up or pants down? Oh, for me, pants up. Hat backwards or hat forward during BP? Oh, hat forward, 100%. Best thing you've made on your big green egg? Man, I've done some ribs that have been they've been pretty pretty dynamite. Um, I did a pulled pork a couple of days ago that was tremendous. Um, yeah, so I'd have to say just pork ribs. Okay, nice. Steve, you're off the hot seat, man. Steve, that was great, man. (laughs) I can't thank you enough for joining, man. It's long overdue. Uh, Really appreciate you coming on, and I know you got to get out to practice here shortly, but I I just want to say again, thank you so much for, you know, always always welcoming me and and always, uh, you know, willing to have a conversation with me about whatever. Uh, But, you know, I just want to, again, thank you for coming on and, and appreciate your time. And it's been my pleasure, Les. I appreciate it again. Thank you guys for everything you do for uh, for all the programs, the boys, the players, and the coaches throughout all throughout Southern California. I want to thank Riverside King head coach Steve Madrill for coming on the podcast today to share his insights of his coaching career and a look ahead at what to expect from the 2020 version of the King Seawolves. Be sure to check out PrepBaseballReport.com for all your news and information on prep baseball in the state of California. And until next time, we'll see you at the yard. We'll be right back. 